All right, Colton, welcome back. Man, I have to say the podcast we did a few years ago now was one of my favorite ones. Just your perspective on heading. Um, I feel like you're, you've teetered the line, right, with tried a lot of things <laughs> and I'm kind of constantly do try a lot of things with right. your heading and kind of have found that spot where it's like, you know, it's a struggle, right? Pretty much roping professionally is, it's a battle, I yeah, would say. It's a tough one. Uh, so one of the first questions I wanted to talk to you today about is winning. Like, what is winning to you? Winning to me is when I, I do my, my way of heading and I, I don't step out of that lane. I feel like that, for me to feel at the end of the day, obviously winning is when I go to the check, get my money or whatever like that. But for me to leave a rope and to feel like I won is when I headed my way. I didn't step on my toes. I didn't cut any corners. I went through the run, through the jackpot, through the rodeo, the way that I've worked on it and prepared and trusted that my stuff was good enough. That's what I feel like. That's when I leave a rope in competition when I feel like I've won. And because the winning percentages are so low right. in roping in general, I don't know what like the jackpotting percentages are like of a of a good like jackpot year, but I think rodeoing is like thirty five percent is pretty decent. Yeah, I mean it's got. I think it's a little a little more than that, but um, but For- there has to be. Obviously, winning is the only thing that matters, the true winning. That is what we're all after. The dollars. Right. The right. the end of the day results. But there's not enough of it to just live off of that in confidence matters. You know what I mean? Like in the means of confidence. So I think you have to look at each rope and each run, each step in ways to see the good or the bad in each situation. Rather than just leaving the jackpot, you drew one that ducked his head, you popped it off. Well, I didn't win. Well. Okay, you're right. You didn't win. But what can we take from that day to grow off of, to look at it as a win? What did you do right? Where You know what I mean? Like there's, there has to be other ways of finding confidence, finding a win within each situation. Winning performances, right? So I think that's it's unique to have. And I think it's really important to understand is if you're playing to your game, you can kind of continue to build on that, right? So for example, like if you miss a steer, like you just said, you know, you can decide it was winning if it was your shot. Right. It's losing if it's like, I haven't practiced this. This was not part of the game plan. And I did this. Then that's a, that would be losing, right? Yeah, exactly. I feel like um, if you are, if there is something that you've practiced, you're prepared for it and you didn't perform it, there's at least something to build off of it, right? Like you can see where you went wrong. You can find where you did right. I mean, there's, there's, things you can find within it. But like you just said, if you've never practiced seeing front leg, throwing your whole rope, try to be four flat, four or five in that situation. Well, I mean, that, that whole scenario is a loss, right? Like you're not prepared for it. You try to do something that you've never really stepped out of your boundaries to do. I mean, they're just, I, like you said, I just, there's so many different ways to find a win within each situation. And as long as you're prepared for every one of them, I feel like they're all, they're all pretty simple to find as long as you're pretty real with yourself. Right. Okay. So let's talk about situations that you haven't seen before. I think this is where I want to throw Jade out as the best example. I think he's one of the most prepared healers ever. Right. And not a lot of people even talked about this at the finals this year, but 
I thought the steers were really fast hitting, hard to heal. Right. And I think he was one of the best healers there because he could make the adjustment and figure it out, you know, how to not make those mistakes. Yep. And I think that's one thing that you kind of constantly see when you're rodeoing, jackpotting is you get in different arenas, different steers, different setups, different team counts, right? Yep. So how do you try to balance that, you know, the, the adding the, the perspective of, okay, this is where I haven't seen, or this is something that, you know, I probably need to improve on. How do you look at that part of it? I feel like the only way to master stuff, like not master, because no one's mastered anything, but to get better in situations like that is by getting your feet wet, like actually taking part in the competition. Because no matter how hard we practice, no matter which way, your blood doesn't boil the same when you're at home or when you're, when you're at a jackpot. You talk to the older guys that are done, like my favorite guy to talk to is Joe Lucas, old smoking Joe Cafro for, from back home. But he always talks about, like, I think you can, he says you can over-practice. You know what I mean? Like, you over-prepare for your situations, but then you don't ever put a real situation in front of you. So, like, Jade, yeah, he is amazing. But he's entered just as much or more than anybody that he's competing against. Like, those situations, he's seen them before. He's overcome them before. If it's at, if it's at the old Lone Star Arena, you know, like 10 years ago at the Buck and Duck. Like, maybe that's where one hit fast on him. You know what I mean? Like, He's entered. He's seen the situations. He's put them in front of him. He's seen them. Maybe he didn't overcome them. Well, at least he has something to go home to and find a way to overcome that. So I think my answer to your question is the only way to truly do it is by getting your feet wet, entering, and finding finding different ways to put situations in front of yourself that are realistic, you know, that just aren't in the comfort of your backyard. I mean, you'll learn just as much as going to a $20 slide as you do going to the Lone Star shootout, I think. Well, and two, doesn't it, like for me, I guess, I get a lot out of my roping, not necessarily when I'm roping, meaning like practicing. Um, I learn a lot that evening when I'm thinking about it. Or like, for example, if you go to a slide or a jackpot and you miss and you think about that steer a lot. And, and so you, like, I'll go and I'll try to recreate it in the practice pit. Right. And then you can figure out like, okay, is that actually something that's a weakness? that I wasn't prepared for, or was it kind of, was it my shot I just missed? Like, right. is that something, I mean, I guess what I'd like to know from this is how much like out of practice do you get with like, you go into a practice session with like a game plan, like hey, I need to work on this today. And do you find those things from jackpots? Like, okay, this is what I, you know, was feeling at the pots or this is something that. Right. So I think there's two answers to your question. Uh, I mean, the hardcore answer is is if you don't have a game plan or a reason, you're not practicing. Right. You're just, you're present. You're just there. You're opening the gate. You're chasing the cow. You're just, you're there. See, I don't even think you can call it practice. You're just hanging out with your buddies. You know, and that's fine because there's a lot of people that get a lot out of that. I mean, I grew up around that. That's what they do. They work at the end of the day. This is their release. This is their fun spot. They're going to rope. We're going to visit. But to truly call it a practice, I think every time you back in the box and nod your head, or if you're a healer and you're there, there has to be a reason why you're there. And then the second part of your question is the reason I think is you found your reason from your previous mistakes or your previous thoughts of, like you just said, this is what I missed at the jackpot, or I seen the best guy in the world miss that cow. Like now I'm thinking about it. Now I want to overcome that. Well, there's your reason. So I think that there's, there's a lot to it. If you don't have a reason, you're not actually practicing. 
All right. So let's talk about this. I, I just actually read this, uh, uh, heard it in the podcast and kind of read the article. They talked about performance, like optimal performance and learning. Like in a practice session, right? you needed 15% error. So if you ran 100 steers, you'd mess up 15% of the time. Right. When you practice, what does a typical practice session look like? Like if you're running steers, how often are you like missing or making mistakes? Or is that something you've thought about? No, I think about it a lot. And honestly, it's something I need to remind myself a little bit because I feel like it like neck rope to point. I'm, I'm very realistic. I feel like I'm, I'm a part of the game. But you go to front leg and I get a little bit weird. You know, I feel like that's my weak spot. You know, like when it's a little bit dead, you got to ride your horse off and then you still got to be great. Like that's my, that's kind of where I fall off track a little bit. So I'll go a couple of days where I'm seeing point. I'm just wearing the horns out, you know, like pat yourself on the back, like, man, this is going good. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, I know how to do this. Like, why am I trying to catch every steer? Why am I not putting myself in situations that I'm not comfortable at and then trying to catch those cows, which I feel like the great guys have done and keep doing. They find out where they're weak and they make their weaknesses their strengths. Right. And I think too, this is something that's kind of like for me as a header, I, the one coil shot on the way in is it wins a lot of money. It's a very high percentage shot, but I think the hardest shot for a header is when you clear the box, you're out of range. Yep. And then you're going to have to throw two and a half to three coils when you get into range. Right. right? And so that means your horse is running wide open. You have a lot of, like there's a lot of room for air right there, right? Yes. So I guess what I, following up on what I just said too, because I've, I've done this. I've, I've completely taken what I was weak at. I mean, I used to be a bad jackpotter. So I put in all of my eggs into that basket to become a better jackpotter. But then at the same time, I also forgot to work on what I was good at. So it's kind of like now I became, I, at one point I became where my strengths used to be my weaknesses and then my weaknesses used to be my strengths. So that's why I feel like there's so much work that goes into being good because you do need to find what you're weak at and make it your strengths, but you also need to become the absolute best at, at what you're good at. You know what I mean? So like, there's no, there's no spot in a roping or anything professional that you can be absent from. Like, I just feel like you need to keep finding what you're weak at, build on it, build on it, build on it. But also at the same time, keep building what you're already good at. So I feel like there's, there's just so much that goes into it. I mean, there's just no room for a lack of effort. Well, and I think it, it, I mean, I experienced this the other day in Arizona. I know we talked about it a little bit, but just with that, like you can, in these reopens with a lot of teams, you can be on the gas pretty good and be really aggressive. And then all of a sudden you get to a short round and it might be a lot softer. And then you just got to go to a, a lot, like a, and a, a run that's still aggressive, but it's a, you know, you're, you're riding your horse through a, sh- through a spot you were throwing earlier. Right. And, and that can kind of change it up, right? It just changes up the timing. It changes up the feel and it kind of makes the rope and feel like a, like a new rope into you, like something you haven't quite experienced. Right. And I think that's where you got to be comfortable, right? With those, those type of situations. Yeah. Like the, I mean, I, I asked Clay Tryon, you know, like, what do you do to get ready for the NFR? And obviously his answer was rope, but he said he'll do it, you know, once every day, all year. Like at some point he's going at 
these steers. It's never like it's just a new situation. So I guess my answer to what you were just saying is, yeah, if we're going to work on getting ready for, you know, Rancho Rio come Vegas week, it's point. You got to be probably six flat on four steers to win good money. Okay, well, this year it completely fell apart. So now you got to be eight flat. Well, throughout the day, you're going to be trying to be six flat. But in every practice situation, put yourself in a different scenario. Like you worked all day. You worked on that six flat. Now you got to lope right at the end of the day. We'll pick that steer. You make sure you see a spot. All you have to do is complete the course. Like I just, I feel like it just goes back to, I don't think we ever need to just pick one thing. Like it, it's such a whole. And I just think it all, it needs all of our focus, every different aspect of it. I feel like you just described me heading at Rancho Rio. <laughs> I did. I, but I, 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 and I, you know, and I missed in the short round right there. And I, it's something I thought about quite a bit because that was exactly the scenario, right? right? Was we were long in the first one, we were like eight. And then we come back and we're five flat and five, five. And then we we're like fourth call. Yep. Had to be seven, seven or seven, eight. Right. Got a good start. And the one thing that I had, I hadn't really experienced was I was picking my rope up a little bit earlier, very aggressive. And it created like a real tight swing. Yep. And I couldn't find a spot to like really open up a delivery, set it up, and I, I waved it off the horns. And that's like that's something that I never normally do when I run in close is wave it off the horns. And so this is like, I think this is what makes roping and winning so unique, right? Is you can look at it like, oh, you can take that and like, I, I got no, whatever. You can say I messed up in the short round. Right. Or you can just look at it realistically like, well, this is something I, I haven't seen before was going from, a, a quicker, tighter swing to just a catch shot. Right. And I didn't realize how that would change my rope, my roping as if I like, cause I normally pack my rope a little bit more yeah. and, and just little things like that, that there's no way to find that out until you, until you miss one. Well, there or, you is. Know, and, and it's just communication too. Like I was talking to uh, Sherwood and KD this, this week at Odessa. And it was the way they described it was super interesting. It was like you talked about, like an aggressive swing, trying to win something. And then they they think there's a line. And I completely agree, not they think. They described it as there's a line at some point when you're running to the steer that when you go past this line, you've already went past the tight, aggressive spot. At this point, you have to drop your swing down. You're already past the situation. You're just going to drape it on two horns. And I think that is what Caleb Driggers is the absolute best at is he has his swing up. He's trying to win something. Okay, now he's drew a loper or he overrode his horse. You can just see him. Like he's up, up, up. And then he goes past that spot. He just, whoosh, just chills out, just brings it down. It's just like, it's a cakewalk for him, right? And that's something he does every day. I mean, he tries to win something. He's realistic. And then if he goes that sp- past that spot, now he's just going to chill out and catch the cow. So if, like, if you would have been doing this before, like, I'm not, no, it's taking you, but we, you, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, okay, we've tried to win something or be aggressive all day in our practice pen, but now at the end of the day, you're just going to make sure your horse is still right, right? That's how you're going to finish your day off. Well, yeah, it's for your horse, but why can't it be for you too, right? So yeah, we're going to see a little bit extra. You're going to take an extra swing. Well, now you went past this line and in your mind, all you have to do is catch this deer to finish off a perfect day. You know what I mean? You don't got to do push-ups. You don't got to run around the arena. So in your mind, just find that spot. Okay, I went past this line. I'm just going to chill out, bring my swing down, drape it on the horns. Now, if you're fourth call back and all you have to be is 7-7 seven, seven at Rancho Rio next year, you're like, dude, I do this every day. Like, I'm just going to fix my horse. I'm just going to chill out. 
Like, I just think it's, it's a mental preparation and it's a preparation that you see every day in the practice pen. And I think that's what is so unique, right? Is being able to understand that. And I think that's why having the scenarios and, and not going through the motions in the practice pen is so important. Absolutely. Because that's something I could have easily addressed in the practice pen. And all I had been addressing prior to that was being as aggressive as I could. Right. And there's no reason at the end of the day, you could have just finished off for you and your horse and then still got just as much or more out of the whole situation. Yep. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with that. All right. Let's talk about, you know, we had a conversation before we you know started recording about the heading swing. Right. Right. And I kind of want to just get back into this a little bit. So my question to you is, you know, what, what's the point of a heading swing, right? Like at, if we strip it down to like, what is the, the purpose of swinging a rope, right? It's just create momentum to the horns. Right. So I think there's, yeah, there's different ways to describe it, but like my two answers are is the definition of a swing is power towards a target is like the number one thing that comes to my head. But then I think the most easiest way or the simplest way to design it is your swing is your throw. Where wherever your swing is, you have to be able to come out of your swing to directly to your throw. And that was something I've been taught since day one and I often forget it. But I think that's the most important thing is your swing doesn't matter unless you can come out of it and throw your rope. So understanding that has to be really important. Uh, that that's honestly probably the best way to to look at a swing that I've that I could think of right. at least off the top of my head. But if you think about that, if you can get into a delivery, right into a delivery out of a swing, that means you can have feel going to the cow yes. as you're swinging your rope. You can start picking out as you're covering that gap to the steer. You can start picking out times where hey, this is going to present itself here. Right. And, and I think this is where heading at every level, as soon as you understand this, you can just speed it up even quicker. Because if you run all the way into the steer and you don't need to take one or two extra swings over his back because you've adjusted your rope to where it's pointed right towards your target. Right. As soon as you get to that spot where, like, what, what do you call it? Like, what would you call, right? Like, what does that feel to you? Like when I get to throw my rope? Yes. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just. Like the the second best feeling in the world, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, the second best feeling yeah, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> when you ride to that spot, your horse comes off the cow. It's like the horns are just floating in front of you. It's just like you can't screw it up. I mean, that's that's wonderful. But I think what we go back to is how you talked about like the swing and the like the delivery and everything like that that you were just describing. People always try to match other people's swing. You know what I mean? Like. You never hear of anybody saying, man, I'm trying to throw my rope like this guy. They're always saying, I'm trying to swing my rope like this guy. Yeah. So how I look at it is everybody throws their rope when they release their fingertips their own way. Like, I don't think you can match that. And I'm a firm believer you can't match swings either. Like, it's that's something that you've just become and how you do it, right? So my favorite thing to explain to people is you're not trying to throw your rope like this guy, but now you're trying to swing like him. Well, your swing doesn't matter unless you're throwing your rope the same way you're swinging. So find the way that you release your rope and the way it comes out of your swing and then build your swing off of that. I mean, if you're going to revamp it and really look at it, the only thing that matters in your swing is your release point of when you actually let go of your rope to the horns. So if we can rebuild our swing and grow our swing to have it powerful and strong and at the target, and now I can release it my way I feel like that's the most important thing. So if we're talking about like 
that the momentum of a swing, let's talk about like where you get some feel from. Cause like you and I are, I think we were the same, but like, it feels like once we talked about this, it's at the same spot. But for me, like my feel on my swing is it comes from my elbow. Right. And, and I just like, I know my right hand can't get too far in front. Like I kind of feel where my elbow really leads into my delivery. And yep. that's like, I just, I just feel like that's where it opens up. Right. And then like shout out to Coleman, but as long as my hand is above my tip and my tip is pointed yep. at the horns, I feel like my rope, I, I can just feel how to deliver my rope. Like right. that's something I don't have to think about. I don't w- ever want to think about it. In, in competition, especially. Yes, for sure. But where do you get like your feel and like where, you know, the, the portion of the swing where you have like, what do we call that? Like your power and then your control. Is that, yeah. is that how you describe that? I describe how I first think of it as power and patience. Okay. So where your power is coming, like obviously your power is in the pull of your rope, right? Like when you get to pull it back around your head, that's where the momentum comes from. So almost as your hands like turned over. Yeah, like, that's uh, the like easiest pinky, way. Like pinky up, thumb kind when of When you're down. finishing your turnover process and you're pulling it back, that's where your power comes from. Because you can't get power from pushing it, right? Because the only power in our loop is from the speed of the tip. Yeah. So if I'm pushing my rope, my tip just stays behind me the whole time, right? Like it's just like swinging a rope with no loop just around your head. The only time you get power is when the speed of the end of the rope is going faster. And if I'm just going to sit there and do this, I mean, I'm going to hit myself in the back of the head with just a knot. So I like to think of it as when you're pulling it is when you get the speed on it. And I think of it patience because I run a little hot, a little crazy, you know, like I like to go too fast. Right. So, but really, I mean, this is another way you can describe it is the guiding part of it where you're pulling it now you're guiding it to your target. Now your power, now you're guiding it to your target. I mean, that's just, that's the simplest way that I, I feel it anyways. Well, and you think about this too, if you can have that spot where you guide it, like I feel it with my elbow, like that's what's going to guide, like that's going to lead and open things up. Uh, but it's at the same point that right. we, we talk about this. And what that means to me is you can be running in, have a lot of gain on the steer. And then as you kind of like getting that rate and your horse is kind of creating a spot for you to throw, yep. that's what kind of allows that, that feel to kind of come in place. Where exactly. You, I mean, you your, horse, just, your horse does it for you, yep. honestly, like when they come off the cow or when they match the speed of the cow and they're pushing with their tail, that's when it's just easiest just to pull your rope and guide it over top of your target. And I think it's, to me, it's just a split second where it feels like you're roping the dummy on the ground. Yeah, like that's, like, that's all you're after, you know, finding that one spot where the horns aren't moving, your horse isn't moving. It's just that step is just still just like the only reason we wrote the dummy is to catch the horns. Right. So when you can find that spot in that split second, you know, that heartbeat where it just matches that that's all that I think that we're after. And I think the other thing, too, is like it, it feels like it slows down. Yeah, it does. You know, and it's it's a good thing to have because when you are pressing and trying to go fast, like that's the only time even rodeo. And for me, I don't know what it feels. I've never even asked anyone this question, but that's the only time a rodeo run ever feels slow to me. Like is when I'm in my delivery. Right. And it's like that second of your life, releasing your rope, watching it get to the horns. Well, the best runs, I mean, the best runs you or I, or I think anybody make, they're in the clearest vision of your memory, right? Like it's just that feel. It was in slow motion. Like there was never a spot where it was just, you know what I mean? Like it was just, you found that spot, you headed the cow, it was fluent, boom, the guy's flag was heavy, it dropped fast. I mean, that, I feel like that's the run that we're all trying to make. 
when you're heading the horns too, does it feel like you're wanting to hit hard or like, I mean, the older I get, I guess what, what I'm thinking, my question is, is I always want to just crank it off the horns and have like a fast delivery, like, or like a, like a strong delivery, like we said, but sometimes right. my delivery would be faster than my swing. And I thought that's what like created like a big nod of that kind of that loud loop. But I've kind of found that really my rope being pointed in the right spot and then the momentum being good is what kind of cranks it off the horns. Yeah, you just you just answered it. You know, like when you swing hard, like I said earlier before we were started, there's a difference between swinging hard and a powerful swing, right? So now when you're swinging hard and you're rushing everything, it's I mean, it's good. You can make it work, but it's not near as good as when you have power on your tip, you're guiding it in the right spot, you're placing your loop. Like there's no better loop than that. And that loop is substantially higher in percentage than jacking your rope up real hard to try and make something happen. Right. Do you take notes and like write write steers down that you've ran or how do you how do you keep track of that at all? Yeah, of a voice recording. You do voice recording? Yeah. So take me through that. Is it like each practice session or is it competition? It should be, but I don't. Um, it was when I first got onto it. And then I, of course, just got lazy in time. But uh, after every competition, I'm just, I always had trouble finding a way to like overcome it. You know what I mean? Like, because it, it always happens. There's always a spot where it's hard. And the more things that you read is the easiest way to overcome it is to actually have a voice recording of what a good performance felt like mentally to you. Right. Because so, then you can describe it. I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but like I can describe it that second when it's done. Like, this is what happened. This is how it felt. It was in slow motion. You know, I can talk myself through it. And okay, then the day goes on. You're like, man, yeah, I, I remember that run. But, you know, like I, I can't just go inch by inch with you like I could 30 seconds after it happened. And then I can just go back and listen and like, oh, yeah, all right. Well, this is what I felt. You know, it just kind of puts it back into perspective for you. Well, no, for me... I've wrote this down. I've, I've wrote them down a little bit. I haven't really kept track a lot, but one thing that I, I've just started to do, and I, I've realized, like, um, someone was talking about journaling, and but like journaling, like write your thoughts down in a sentence and write it like a full like thought instead of just like a bullet point. Right. And what I found I was doing it the other day. I was like writing down uh, uh, some runs I was making on a young horse, and there was a steer where she kind of like flinched with the gates, and then she stepped inside. And I kind of like realized how much into that run and like how to kind of game plan and like what I felt her doing, like when she was scoring like, yeah. and it, it kind of like really put things in perspective for me for the next day when I was getting ready well, for, for it. For sure. I mean, our team roping runs happen in three to eight seconds, right? Like in the time. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff that happens, but that's a fast, that's a fast set of events. You know what I mean? So to go back on it and look at it and, either write it down or talk to your, like record it and break it down in, into, you know, a, a one to three minute section where it's like, now you just completely vamped this five second run into two minutes of a mental explanation of talk about getting deep into stuff that actually slows your mind down and looks at the steps and your loop and your swing and your horse's feet. Like it all puts it into perspective and it actually makes you think about it, feel it. I mean, it's just, I, I feel like it's really valuable. Well, yeah. We, I mean, we got to go down some rabbit holes with this, right? Yeah. You know, Cause there's just like, I think that's how you, you can start building theories, trying stuff out or like you kind of get these. Yeah. Or you get confident in what you're after because it's like, man, every time that it works, I keep saying the same thing. So it's like, 
why does anything else matter? Does this works? So let's stick to this and then try something else on a different avenue. Right. What about in the box? Is there something like a mental process that you go through to try to create that feel like, so for example, you have to be able to read the steer and score. So that has to be, take up a big part of your like mental focus, I believe heading. Yes. But then to get your rope up correctly and have it pointed in the right spot. And then the other thing that is really hard, and I think we'll, you know, we're going to talk about these match opens we started doing, but the one thing that the match opens kind of showed instantly was there's a spot in the arena that you had to make a run. Right. And so that feel of like, I have to throw my rope right here. That's just something that has to come through like muscle memory. So to get the feel of like where to throw your rope in the correct spot and then still read the cow is there something, do you duplicate your thoughts every time or is, what do you try to go with? No, I feel like that's two different things. I feel like there's, I think, I feel like there's your subconscious mind and then there's your conscious mind and one has to work and the other has to get out of the way. They both can't be in the room at the same time. So me personally, when in the voice recordings, when I'm doing it right and things are going well, all I'm telling myself is I back in the box and it's just calm body, calm left hand pick your spot on the cow when you're going to leave. And then I just have the mentality where the cow is not going to get away from me. Because if I feel like I'm chasing, I rush my rope, I rush my swing, I rush my delivery, nothing works. So my deal is just this cow is not going to get away from me. And when you have that, it's in slow motion because you're riding your horse, you're underneath of you. And now you just get to see what's in front of you. You get to set up for the situation. And the line and the deal, that's just... I think that's just something you know going into the run where it's like you have to give it a little bit extra. You kind of need to test your comfort zone. Or if it's just the rope is kind of falling into place, you're just like, just stay out your own way. Just let yourself just do its deal. Like, I just feel like there's times where you have to step in front of yourself like, hey, you got to try this. Or it's like, no, just, just go through the motions. Just do what you're comfortable with. Right. How, how much do you like try to remember cattle at the jackpots i'm not good at that and that's something that does bother me i wish i was better but i i'm just not good at it and i've tried i just i i have trouble with it i struggle with it as well i'm terrible at it well i'm just good enough at it to get in trouble that's the thing is i thought i was good at it and then i'm not and i've cost myself money because of a complete error on on the steer so something that changed my perspective on it um we were at Livingston one year. We, it's really hard to get the last perfect Livingston for anyone that's tried it. Yep. Um, and usually it's got a, over 100 teams, very fast rodeo. Um, and then we called and the steers had ran. Both of them that we had drawn, the buddy team and I, were strong. And they come back and loped for us. And I got out and the buddy team broke a barrier. But we both had chances to win. And it just made me realize, like, you have to be able to read the cow, like how he is in the shoot. Like you have to, you have to just kind of get some feel for the cow. And, and so I've, I've kind of got away from trying to memorize cattle to more or less like feel my horse, is my horse going to score? Right. And then reading the steer. Yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into knowing the cow, like knowing what's in front of you. But there's also like I, the way I'm seeing that is, okay, your steer runs, but what's the difference at Livingston? You know what I mean? Like, what is the difference? You're you're still going to have to throw at this spot. You're still going to have to try and be four, three. You know what I mean? Like, 
So when I'm thinking of what you're saying is like, yeah, your steer runs, but the only real way to look at it is it doesn't matter. I mean, you still are going to try and hit the barrier and you're going to throw your rope. So yeah, you have to read the cow and you have to and read what's in front of you, but it's more of like just setting yourself up for success in the situation where it's like, rather than panicking and trying to overdo too much because your steer is supposed to be strong, well, kind of take an inside track, try and hit the barrier, try and win something. Like it's just kind of a different way of looking at it, I think, which I think Andrew Ward is the most amazing at it. Right. Well, I think the just understanding um, how to read the cow, how to hit the barrier, but then you go right back to what you said, winning. Yeah. Right? You know, like know what your shot is, you know, know that you're, you're just trying to basically do what you can do. And then if you do that over the whole year, yep. then it, the winning, the dollars will take care of itself. Right. Exactly. Do you keep track of the like spins and stuff from the rodeos or do you have like a certain percentage of steers that you try to spin for money or how do you, like, I know that guys have talked about that and done that. I think you and I have maybe talked about this. Yeah. I'm not sure what got me on that. Probably the year we buddied. So 2000. 19 Matt Sherwood got me keeping track of my spins for money and uh like times you break the barrier like just as a like as a whole just kind of looking since sometimes you have to overbuild or something to build off of going into the next year a realistic number of where you're at right what do you think is a a realist like a realistic number to make the NFR where do you think a header where I mean obviously there's different styles right there's Guys that are going to reach more and be more aggressive, they're going to probably win those top couple checks more often, so their percentages can go down. Yep. Uh, and they're obviously taking more risk. Yeah. Uh, where you're kind of at, you're kind of in between that, right? Would you say as yeah. far as like, so what do you think is a good percentage for a guy like that? Uh, where uh, do you want to be at? Obviously, I want to shoot for, I love 70%. Like, I think Driggers did the absolute best that you could do last year, and he was at 70 like, was it 76% spins for money? I just remember thinking it was close to 80, but, uh, you know. Like it, it was the, high. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, that's that's incredible. But and, and for as much as he reaches, too, it's, yeah, or can reach. Yeah. That's his comfort zone. That's like me putting my foot up the steer's butt, though. That's where, that's <laughs> where he likes him. Uh, but both times that I made the finals, I turned over 68% of my steers. And when I don't make the finals, it's closer to 63 to 64%. Right. And that's just the difference between winning couple, or losing. Yeah, yeah, a couple big hits. Getting yeah. in there. That's, that's pretty impressive right there. Okay, so one thing I wanted to get into with these match opens, you know, obviously we, we kind of started doing some match opens. Um, the first ones which we had you in was the, it was best of seven, right? Mm-hmm. And you matched these. What's that like just going against one guy, like, the mentality of it of every single run because how we set these match opens up were no average go rounds only first team to win four steers yeah i think it's awesome and it's just i think it's such a clash of styles which is so cool and so challenging for you to stay in your own lane you know what i mean like do what you're good at and i mean that it, i think it happened like i missed two steers and Jesus kept doing what he was doing and he he wore me out i mean simple as that I uh, I feel like I've, we were watching the videos this morning, and there's a couple that those two that I screwed up. I mean, if I would have just made sure to do what I'm good at and stay in my lane, I catch those cows, and the outcome could have been completely different. You know what I mean? So, yes, these beat me, but 
I definitely beat myself this match too, which I think is the coolest part of your whole your whole idea of of the matches. Right. I think I mean when when you watch like Clay Smith and, and Dustin match, right? That it happened really early and the matches both guys made fast runs right. and you kind of figured out like, okay, these guys, this is where the run is probably gonna be at today to to win each round. Right. And then the only variable is if they mess up. Yep. Right. If if there's a miss or leg or a barrier. Yeah, I think it all just comes down to like mutual respect too. You know, I mean, you know who you're roping against, right? So both I mean, that match was aggressive. Every every good match, guys were trying to win something. You know what I mean? Like I think it's obvious when guys weren't trying to win something. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's definitely against who you are or who you're against. And I think that's I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I think the other thing that was kind of unique that day was you got to see with Clay Smith, like how well rounded that guy is. <laughs> yeah, he's incredible. It's it's impressive to see how fast he can go and then also just how much catch he has. Yeah. Like I think that's what's been so unique about him and why he's been able to get the world titles and stuff is he can go super fast and then he can use his horse the whole time. Too. Yeah, like and the coolest thing is his swing doesn't change when he's doing it. You don't really know what he's going to do when he hits the mouth of the box. Right. It's just, there's really only a couple of guys that can do that. I think Driggers has now gotten to where like he can level it off and go catch more, but it's like him and Clay Tryon were the, the two guys that have just real unique swings in they're, that sense. Yeah, I think they're just both, or all of them, all three of the guys that we're talking about. But there's just a lot to it, having options. You know what I mean? When you're not just you're not just a one-track band, you have options. And that the options are easy to access, too, which is huge, I feel like. Right. Yeah, because it's just like that. You could go with a less aggressive headshot because you know you can maybe make the steers easier to heal. Right. And or vice versa, you know, you can take more risk and and go, yeah, I mean, you know, all the way on the gas if yeah, you need to. For sure. All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate you doing this part. Um, obviously, we're going to do, you know, the rundown with this and kind of break a few runs down from this match. Uh, we'll get right into that. Uh, but, you know, the podcasting, it's just it's so unique because the one thing that I, I just know with your heading is, you know, you're constantly working at it, thinking that there's just things you get to dive into. I was like, well, <laughs> I have a lot of questions. So. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's get into this rundown. 